0: Thank you, thank you very much, Salem Chapel. It's, uh, it's great to, to be here with you all this morning. For those who are joining us online, we thank you that you are uh, here as well uh, in, in spirit, virtual spirit. You know what I'm saying? Um, hey, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead uh, and turn there. And I'm thankful that I get an opportunity to kind of jump in with you guys in a series that you've been walking through uh, over the course of the summer uh, called Sunday School Stories and I, I'm thankful that I get the opportunity to, to do that um, because here's the thing, uh, when it comes to, to things that we are familiar with, a lot of times we can kind of throw in and, and think that we know all the right answers, right? For, for example, uh, if I were to say, you know, something along the lines of, of Star Wars, you being familiar with that, you would probably respond what? Darth Vader, right? Luke, right? We're, we're going to play a little game here, so it's okay to talk back to me. I don't bite. I prefer that, all right? Uh, if I were to say something along the lines of, of Wake Forest, you would say? Demon Deacons. Demon Deacons. Exactly, all right. Uh, if, if I were to say something along the lines of, you know, say, uh, the Chicago Bulls, you would say? Right, cool. If I were to say something along the lines of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, you would say? Entanglement. Exactly. So we get it, Right. We, we understand a little bit of what it means when you know, our minds go to things, right? We're familiar with it. The reality is a lot of times, though, when we do this with, with Scripture, we can hear different things. We can think that we know what it's talking about and completely slip past it, what it's teaching, what it's saying, and we do that oftentimes with, uh, with different stories that we hear in the Bible. For example, you know, we, we hear Jesus walked on water. We're like, oh, yeah, that was a miracle that he did, right? Uh, Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, we, we get that. But we take a lot of these, these stories, these things, and we, we're familiar with it. But, again, we can miss what it's trying to teach. And today, we're going to be looking at a particular story that many might be familiar with. If you're new to scriptures, you may or may not have heard of it before, but it's Jesus feeding the 5,000. And you might be familiar with this one in particular because it's, it's one story that's actually listed in all the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all attest to this particular miracle. Outside of the resurrection, we know that this is one that's, that's repeated, but it's in its us being familiar with it that we can miss really what Jesus was trying to, to teach during this time. That we can see it for just the miracle, but miss that Jesus is actually trying to portray to them and now to us that he is life, that he is life and he gives life. We're gonna see today that Jesus came to do something amazing. We're gonna see that Jesus is powerful. We're gonna see that Jesus has a desire to save. And we will see that Jesus didn't just come to just meet our physical needs, but our deep spiritual one, the one that every single one of us has. And my hope is that we're going to see that Jesus' life and our hearts should desire him and him alone. But before we do that, can we go to the Lord in prayer to ask him to open up our hearts and minds in this time? God, we thank you, again, that we have an opportunity to, to see who you are, to hear more of who you are, God. I pray that it would transform our lives in such a way where we would leave out of here completely full based off Christ Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. Lord God, I pray that you would open up the hearts and the minds of your people today, Father. Would you move me out of the way so that uh, you would increase and I would decrease, Lord God. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, would be acceptable here in your sight right now, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So hopefully by now you've turned to John chapter 6. We're going to be starting in in verse 1, and it picks up where it says after this, and just to give you some context, Jesus had just got done dropping the bomb on uh, the, the religious hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the time, the Jews during that time. And so after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover let's keep that in mind when this is happening, right? The Passover, the Feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, "Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat?" And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. I love that. Can we just pause real quick? I love that Jesus already knows what he's about to do. I'm reminded of when I was, uh, I was a kid and I used to, you know, on Saturday mornings, I'd wake up and watch cartoons and stuff like that. And my, my grandmother would come out of the room, my room, uh, and she would watch me watching, you know, TV. And she would ask me, you know, hey, is your room clean? You know my room ain't clean. You just came from out of there. Why don't you just tell me to clean my room? Why are we playing this game, right? This is what's happening. Jesus knows what he's about to do. And he asked this rhetorical question, right? Where are we going to get this, this food? And so he, he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not be enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now, context, a denarius was essentially equal to a day's wage here. And, and, and Philip's response here shows how immense the problem at hand is. The reality is what he is saying is it would take eight months' worth of wages to feed the amount of people that were here. Keep on reading in verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. I love that, right? Because he's, he's starting to say, hey, there's, we can do something with this. But then he says, but what are they for so many? <laughs> At first, we see this seemingly great answer, right? Right? That that we've got this thing here, Jesus, but then he gives the most apathetic man answer ever, right? It ain't going to be enough, though. It's it's not enough food. This kid has some food, but what are we going to be able to do with that? Now, before we continue, I think it's easy to give the disciples a a, a hard time, right? We see that these guys are, are following Jesus often. They're living life with Jesus often, but then they always still miss it, right? They always miss it and we look at him like yo like how can you be so goofy <laughs> you already you there's this crowd you've seen him do amazing things and yet you still miss the point however philip philips thinking is very similar to what we would think how we would respond if the situation was presented to us as well our responses would be no different Here's the thing, we often, like Philip, rely on our human ingenuity to be creative, to think through when there's a problem at hand, when something is going on. But what happens when we realize that the problems are too big to solve on our own? War, death, racism, sickness. When we take these large things and even when we kinda break it down on on a personal level, we begin to realize that man, these problems are, are way too big for us to solve on our own in our own power. Which which one of you guys can heal sickness? Right? If you can, what's up with COVID, right? What, what you doing? Because Rona out here tripping, right? If you if you got the power, why 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 aren't you doing something? Right? Which which one of us can can change and affect the heart of, of someone who has these deep-seated racist and prejudice issues in their lives? Which one of us can can do something about this war and rumors of war that's happening? What can we do? We begin to realize, well, there's not much that we can do at all. We begin to realize just how powerless we are, that only Jesus can heal, that only Jesus can change hearts, that only Jesus can redeem. We can't. And what happens? when we get to this point where we're asking the questions and beginning to see different things and realizing just how powerless we are, we might find ourselves in a position like Andrew, who, who thinks of a solution, right? But then realizes it's really not much of a solution at all. Here's this bread and fish, Jesus. It's not enough. Andrew finds himself asking a question, what good will this do? What difference will this make? It's hopeless. Everyone is going to starve. You see, like Philip, we look for solutions in our own power. Like Andrew, when we begin to try to figure it out and we can't, we despair. In this text, we see that Jesus asked Philip the question so that Philip and Andrew and everyone who is there at that moment would learn that there is no problem that can match the power of Jesus. Here's a question for you. What are you currently facing that you have yet to introduce to the power of Jesus? What's going on in your life right now that you have yet to introduce to the power of Jesus? What what are you dealing with? What issue is in your life? What struggle are you going through that you have yet to introduce to the power of Jesus? You see, we need to understand that we are without any means whatsoever to fix our deep-seated issues. But then Jesus steps in and shows himself to be powerful over those things. And I love that it mentions the type of bread, barley, Barley bread. Context for you. Barley during that time was considered poor man's bread. Right? Only, only, only the poor would eat this type of bread. It was, it was gluten-free. It didn't have any taste. Right? You guys who are gluten-free, you know exactly the type of bread I'm talking about. Right? Tastes nasty. Right? And I, and I love that it mentions that in particular because what it shows us is that Jesus uses even the smallest of things to make much of himself. Why would you think he wouldn't do the same for your situation. Why do you think that he's not willing to step in? And and here's the thing. It's not that Jesus isn't ready to operate. I think we understand that he's ready to operate. I think it's just a matter of how quickly we forget that he's there. That he's ready to step in. Let's keep reading because we're not done. Verse 10. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Because he's about to show out. I love that. I want them to have a seat to the front, to the show I'm about to do here. Have them sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, 5,000, we need to understand, again, context. This is a, a, a patriarchal system during the time, and so they would only count the heads of households. And so theologians and guys who write commentaries and all the people that are smarter than you and I, they surmise that there was actually way more than just the 5,000 because they weren't including the, the, the women and the children here at the time. And so they would say that there was upwards to 15 to 20,000 people who were in attendance here. To, to put in context, that's like the size of a large Joel Coliseum at, at, at full capacity, Right? So when you hear that number, then you're like, dang, I know why Andrew was stressing out. I know why Philip was bugging. That's a lot of people, right? We ain't got that money. (laughs) But then verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, I love that, because when Jesus fills you up, (laughs) that's a whole other thing he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, what? You crazy. (laughs) This is amazing. This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And just like that, we take this familiar story, this passage that we've heard, this miracle that's amazing, and we turn it into a lesson on the importance of sharing our food. <laughs> we turn it into a, a, a lesson of showing, you know, the miracle of, of Jesus. We turn it into a, a lesson that, that talks about, you know, uh, 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 being, being nice and, and kind and uh, praying before your meal, right? Because Jesus did it, so we have to do it, Right? And all those things, there's nothing wrong with those things in and of themselves. But when we look at the story in its full context, which we're about to do, we see why this miracle is more than just a simple lesson. It points to Jesus seeking to see us live. Here's the thing. The, the rest of this chapter is, is 71 verses. And guess what it's all about? Bread. It's all about bread. Bread, 18 times bread is mentioned in chapter six of the book of John. And yet we minimize this story to just the miracle. The miracle is great. And in fact, I think oftentimes we just read scripture and we read these miracles and we're like, oh yeah, that's cool. Forgetting that we ain't never seen a miracle in real life, right? Like we should be blown away. This is a great thing that this miracle happens. However, we need to understand that a miracle is simply just a sign. And what does a sign do? It directs you towards something, right? What does a left turn sign tell you to do? Turn left, right? I told y'all, y'all talk to me? Dag, y'all talk to me, it's okay. What does a stop sign do? Tells you to stop, right? You guys got here, so you understand the concept of signs. <laughs> but here's the thing, a sign is telling us to, to do something. It points to something. And what we see here is this miracle is a sign, To point the eyes of the beholder to Jesus of who he is and what he came to do. Let's keep reading in verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You see, the the very next day, so after this, Jesus, you know, kind of got away. Then another miracle, he walked on water and he's on the other side uh, of of the sea here. And the crowd followed him. They followed after him. And Jesus notices that these people are back and the crowd wanted to know what was up with that bread from yesterday. That was was some good bread, Jesus, right? What's what's up with that? Here's the thing, crowds like the disciples, they many times miss the point. The gospels are, are full of stories that crowd after crowd after crowd are simply following Jesus to see the signs, to see the wonders And this crowd is no different. But in spite of that, Jesus is so compassionate towards them. He's so compassionate. He's so loving. See, this particular crowd wanted a full belly, but Jesus wanted to give them full hearts. And this is what I mean by that. Jesus' power is amazing, but number two, so is his desire to save. So is his desire to save. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Listen, Jesus calls them out on their desire for bread. Why? Because they followed Jesus because he was useful for them in providing them what they needed in that moment. He was useful for them in that moment, and what they needed and what they wanted was bread. They refused to see what the sign was directing them to. Can I ask you a question today, Salem Chapel? Are you following Jesus because he is useful for you or are you following him because he is worthy to be followed? Are you following Jesus because his power is, is something that you simply just want to be useful to you? Family, if we're honest with ourselves, We've been guilty of operating like the crowd. Oftentimes we come to Jesus with felt needs, and if those needs are met, then we think to ourselves, all right, then we'll be good, right? Jesus, my spouse is out here tripping. If you can correct their heart, if you can bring them back to an understanding of who you are and they can come back into the family, then we'll be good. God, my, my kids are out here crazy, crazy, Right? I, I can't get them under control. God, if you would just work in their lives, then we'll be good. God, I, I'm, I'm tired of being a part of the, the bridal party. When's, when's my turn? If you would just send Mr. Wright or, or Mrs. Wright to me right now, then I'll be good. Father, I, 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 I just want kids. Would you provide that for me? God, would you help me with this job? If, if I had a job, then I could, I could tithe a little better. And all the pastors in the room, they're like, amen, right? All right, I can provide for myself, but you would just give me this. God, I did this for you. Why is this happening in my life? Why is my life not easier now? God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I thought you loved me. You guys ever prayed prayers like that? Have you ever found yourself in that spot where you're kind of bargaining with God a little bit? God, you scratch my back. And I'll scratch yours. Listen, hear me say this. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking God for things. We, we should be, right? He's a good father. He provides for his children. That's, that's in his nature. He can't not take care of his kids. That's a good word right there. But if we're only going after him for the stuff, we need to realize that the stuff will never satisfy us. We often come to Jesus to see issues resolved or or felt needs met. And what Jesus is saying to them and now us stop pursuing after things that will perish away. What happens when you get that job and you realize that something's better out there? What happens when you get that, that spouse and they aren't as loving as you thought that they were going to be? What happens then? Here's the thing, many of us are tired and restless because the majority of our time is spent pursuing the things in life that we think will satisfy us. That new job, that promotion at work, that vacation, a spouse, kids, insert whatever it is that you might be chasing after. And hear this, Jesus is powerful enough to bestow the blessing, I want you to hear me say that. Jesus is powerful enough to bestow the blessing. He is not opposed to blessing people. However, he is opposed to people who simply want to use him for his blessings. For those people who only want him for the stuff that he can provide. Here's a question for you today, a heart question, if you will. Check yourself a little bit. Can you say, I want you, Jesus, even if it comes with no physical blessing? Can you say that? no kids, no spouse, no nice job, no nice house, no nice anything, can you still say, Jesus, I want you? See, Jesus wants the ones who want him even if a blessing isn't involved. Can you say that that is where you are? Jesus is saying that if you are following him to simply get the physical possessions, that won't last. But... What I want to offer you is eternal. And what Jesus gives, sustains, and completes us. And when we are pursuing Jesus and not the things that he can provide, then, then is when we'll be satisfied. So, how then do we pursue Jesus in this way? How can we be fully satisfied? Let's keep reading verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Essentially, they are asking Jesus, like many of us often do, well, what do I need to do to make sure I get this? Because it sounds good, and I'm trying to step, you know, put my toe in it a little bit. It sounds nice and inviting. What do I need to do to obtain that? And Jesus answers them saying, This is the work of God. This is the work of God. This is how you get this, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus is saying to them that you, what you need to do to get this is simply to believe. You need to believe. You can't work for this because it's a gift. The only work that it takes is the faith to believe that it's done. Verse 34, not truly understanding what they're asking for, they say, well, sir, give us this bread always because this sounds dope. How do we get this? And it's here that Jesus hits us with the, first of what's called the I am statements in the book of John. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus drops this bomb and lets them know it's not the physical bread that they should be after, but he himself as the bread of life. And here's where everything begins to connect. Here's when the gospel becomes to to show itself out. Here's the thing. Jesus never shows up with temporary changes. What he wanted them to understand is that they need him fully and completely so that they could be restored. You see, here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is not simply just a way to get people to heaven. It's simply not just a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. God. Listen, God is not a means to an end, God is the end himself. See, you and I, we all have this this internal issue called sin, that when we have the choice, the option, every single time, we are going to choose temporary bread. And temporary bread are are idols, or false gods, or things that we think will satisfy us. And when we place our hope in those things, it reveals something about our hearts, that our hearts are broken, that our hearts are flawed, that if you were to take the most perfect person that you can think of, that person still would not have a leg to stand on in front of a holy God. You and I are those people. And so what's the solution then? Jesus' desire to save us. Jesus is communicating to them and now us that he wants to offer us a way to live. He doesn't just want to give us bread that brings temporary life. He wants to offer himself as the bread of life. And if that's true, if that's true, then we must feast on him. We must take him in. Because when we do, we live. When we do, we are sustained. When we do, we are completely filled. And I I love, I love that this truth is littered all throughout this chapter alone. In verse 27 it says, work for the food that lasts for eternal life. Verse 33, God gives bread from heaven that gives life to the world. Verse 40, everyone who sees the son and believes in him will have eternal life. Verse 47, anyone who believes has eternal life. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes from heaven that anyone who eats of it will not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that comes from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread will live forever. Verse 54, the one who eats of me has eternal life verse 58 whoever eats this bread will live forever Jesus is saying in this chapter over and over and over again that he is the bread that gives life that will never end he is the bread of life and the life that he gives will never falter will never fade it will never fail it will always fill will always sustain and it will always satisfy us that is what he is offering and that is what he is saying and that is what that miracle is pointing to that this temporary bread will not be enough. But I'm using this as an illustration to show you that I am the one that gives life. And he offers it freely. How? By having his body broken for us. You remember when this story was taking place? Passover. What, what happens during Passover. See, the Passover was this celebration, this yearly reminder that God redeemed his people, Israel, out of bondage in Egypt. And that particular last plague, when when God told Moses to tell the children of Israel, hey, sacrifice a a spotless lamb and take that blood and and pour it over your, your doorposts. So that when the angel of death, the death that they more than likely deserve, when that would come, that the angel of death would pass them over. Guys, for you and me, Jesus is that lamb. Jesus is that lamb whose blood was shed so that yours and eyes wouldn't have to be, so that his body was broken so that yours and eyes wouldn't have to be, so that when we are covered under the blood, when we accept who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that the, the death that we so rightly deserve passed over from us and on to Jesus. And he didn't do it to be a religious martyr. He didn't do it as a, to be a great teacher. No, he did it so that we could find life and have it abundantly. That is what he does for us. And I think oftentimes we, we kind of look past the abundant life. Listen, what Jesus does for us We were known for unrighteousness. We were unrighteous people, but because of Jesus Christ, he makes us righteous. We lived in complete darkness because of Jesus. He brings us into the light. We knew nothing but wickedness, but Jesus leads us into holiness. We were filthy people, but he leads us to be pure. We had no real relationship at all to now to having a living relationship with a living God. We had no peace at all, but now he brings us a peace that passes all understanding. We couldn't shake this feeling of of shame and guilt for what we've done in our lives. He makes it so that we can stand before God free of guilt and shame. We had this uncertain future, but now we have this eternal destiny that leads to us seeing him face to face. We were liars. We were adulterers. We were promiscuous. We were self-righteous. We were backstabbers, and all the other names that you were giving, but now you have a new name that consists of son, that consists of daughter, that consists of prince, that consists of princess, co-heir with Jesus. We were bound in chains, but now he has come and he has set us free, and who the son sets free is free indeed. That is who we are. That is abundant life found in Christ Jesus. The question for us today is do we believe that to be true? All of that that we are given, we need to understand. We couldn't earn it, and we didn't deserve it. What's the rest of that song say? That he gave himself away. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of who Jesus is. And here's the thing. This is true for all of us. No matter what you've done, No matter where you've come from, no matter your background, no matter your story, that if we were to put your life on full display here and see all the shame and all the brokenness and all the the grossness of life, Jesus knows about all of it. And he still says, nope, I'm covering it. I'm covering it. But you have to take me in. You have to take me in. You have to believe it for yourself. Here's the thing. Simply taking a bite out of something and spitting it out, that's not taking it in. That's not ingesting it yourself. That doesn't sustain you. You have to take it in completely. Here's the thing. Thinking about eating is not the same as eating. Knowing how the body processes food is not the same as eating. Understanding the nutritional facts about something is not the same as eating. Smelling a delicious steak in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus is not the same as taking it in and eating it. In the same way, thinking about Jesus is not the same as believing in him. Knowing facts about Jesus is not the same as believing in him. Understanding how he operates and what he does to save is not the same as believing in Jesus. Being around Christians, coming into church, listening to good songs and turning on your radio is not the same as believing in Jesus. You have to take him in. You have to take him in for yourself. You believe who he says that he is and what he has done for you personally, or you don't. You either follow him and you are obedient to what he calls you into in Scripture, or you don't. It's as simple as that. There is no in between. And I'll ask you the question, where are you today? Where are you today on that spectrum? Maybe you're here today and you find yourself a part of the crowd. And what I mean by that is you come to church regularly. There's something about this Jesus that is attractive to you. You're coming and you're listening and you're taking it in. And maybe you're only doing it because there's something going on in your life that you're like, all right, I gotta try something out because I need some type of fix. And if that's you, what Jesus is saying, if you're coming to me for a fix, the fix is temporary. But what I'm trying to give you, this eternal fix, it will never go away, it will never fade away. This is what I have for you. Here's the thing being a Christian isn't all rainbows and butterflies. (laughs) But when I stop and look at our world that we live in, the brokenness that we're facing, Sickness and disease and the plagued heart of man. Jesus is the only hope that I have. He's the only hope that I have. Maybe you're looking for some type of hope today. Maybe you need to take into consideration Psalm thirty-four eight. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that I'm good enough for you, that even if you don't get a fix in your situation, that the hope that I offer you is good enough. It's better than enough. It's complete. Maybe you're in here and you would say, you know, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. I have been following Jesus for a while. And if that's true, maybe you have found yourself in a place where you don't desire him the way that you used to. Or maybe he's not as attractive as he once was. That you have found yourself nibbling again on the things of the world. If that's you, maybe you have some type of secret sin, something that you have yet to confess to God that you keep running back after. I need you to hear me say this. The same grace that saves is the same grace that sustains. And he is saying that he still wants to sustain you that you are not too far from God, that you can't outsend his grace. However, he is calling you to come back. And maybe you have a moment here where you get right with God, where that thing that you've been chasing after, that thing that you've been pursuing, that you confess it now, that you confess it and you would find freedom in Christ Jesus because he wants to offer that to you. I love in this passage later on in the book of John, There are some people, some disciples that it says, that they heard all of this stuff. They heard about Jesus. They heard about taking him in. They heard about what he is doing. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And they went their way. And then Jesus looks at his disciples, his personal 12, and he says, are you guys going to leave too? Peter being Peter. He says, where else are we going to go, Lord? We need to understand that there is absolutely nowhere else that we can go because Jesus is enough. You know, I have, uh, have two kids. Um, a little bit older now, but um, my wife, when she was pregnant, I remember uh, that she had always had a craving for pizza and Pepsi. And I love that because your boy could eat pizza and Pepsi, Right? And I would go out to the store and I would get her specific things and, you know, when she was having these cravings, it was great for her. But there's a couple things that as she was pregnant that would just make her sick. She couldn't, she couldn't stand the smell of it. Chicken wings and crab legs. Oh, I was hurting. Because <laughs> I love it and I couldn't eat it. I had to eat it on the side, you know, away from her. But I couldn't eat it. I couldn't enjoy it. But when she got the things that the babies were craving, that she was craving, she would sit back, she would pat her belly, she'd be like, man, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Guys, we need to understand that when Jesus meets our cravings, we're good. We need to remember that there are gonna be things in our life that should repulse us, that when we get around it, that it makes us sick, that we don't want it in our lives, that we have to run away from it because those things are fleeting, but Jesus is enough. And again, I ask the question, where are you today? Where are you? Father, you are good. I pray that we would remember that it's only you that can fill the emptiness that we have inside, that it's only you that can meet our spiritual hunger pangs, God that this miracle, as great as it was, was pointing to the bread of life. And Father, I pray that we would sit in that reality that you have came to offer us abundant life. Lord God, there are people in here who would say that they are walking with Christ, but yet they say, man, these things are hard. I I can't do it. I pray that you would give us the posture of, of a Peter. Where else are we gonna go? that even in the midst of the difficulty, even in the midst of the things that we're not sure about, that we would taste and see that you are good and we would ask ourselves the question, where else can we go because hope is found in you? Lord God, would you bring us to an end of our self-reliance, our self-dependence, and bring us to a trust in you? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how you're moving and operating in us. Thank you for filling us up. In Jesus' name, amen.